Welcome to Grace Community Church On Demand, the weekly podcast from the Sunday services at Grace Community Church in Rupert, Idaho. Here at Grace, we believe in building the kingdom of God one person at a time. We're passionate about loving God, loving people, and following Jesus. Let's get into this week's message. I am so excited to be here with you right now. Um, I... uh... I don't know why they, they ask me to speak every now and again, so I'm, you know, I don't know if I should apologize or what, but uh, I'm here, and uh, it's not only because Pastor Travis and his family are, are gone for the day, we've actually had this planned, if you can believe it, but I am excited to be here um, giving the word this morning, and we are, of course, lifting up uh, Pastor Travis and Tina and their family and our prayers and stuff. Um, they're with family right now, and um, uh uh, that's where they need to be. Actually, I, I said that even last service. I'm, I'm just thinking he's actually preaching in Oregon this morning. He's been with his family all last week. So um, anyway, um, I just wanna I just wanna start our time together by reminding us what an incredible set of pastors we have. I don't know how many pastors you've sat under in your life. But I can tell you that Pastor Travis and Tina are simply incredible people. They are people who care about you. They care about your heart. These are people who are not going to um, sweep an issue under the rug and hope it goes away. They're going to deal with it, then walk with you through it. Um, these are people who have put everything on the line for our church family. And so they deserve our honor and, and uh, our followership. They deserve that from us. Um, we want to we want to make sure to have a culture of honor as uh, as our church family, don't we? So we appreciate our pastors very much. You know, for the past several weeks, we've been in a series about pursuing parts of God. Maybe you caught that. We're, that's not actually true. We've been in a series called Pursuing God, not just parts of God, not just the parts that are familiar, not just the parts that are comfortable. Not just the parts that are easy. We've been in a series on pursuing God. And we started out talking about the parable of the prodigal son uh, that Jesus told. And we looked at the characters that Jesus talks about, the picture that he painted with the father and the prodigal son and the elder son. And um, we spent a lot of time really developing those ideas. And then Mother's Day came. We uh, spent a Sunday. Pastor T uh, did an amazing job talking about the qualities of Ladies and motherhood come from the Lord. Amen. And then uh, followed up that the following week with a message that was for men, and that was a lot of fun too. And um, so I'm, I'm the person, I'm, I've always been a person who has been interested in a counter perspective. You know, whatever, whatever we're talking about on a Sunday morning or if I read it in a Bible passage, I'm always asking the question, what's on the other side of that coin? And so that's just kind of how I'm geared, how I'm kind of wired. And so this morning, that's where our topic comes from. I'm really glad that the Lord dropped this topic in my heart because as I, as I learned about this and uh, dug into my word, I found out some things I didn't know and I'm excited to share them with you. I think we're going to find out some things that you didn't know today either. And so all that to say this morning, you ready for this? We're going to be talking about the fear of the Lord. Now, maybe you've never seen the dramatic chipmunk before, but he's really going to help me in my message. I said, we're going to be talking about the fear of the Lord. 
I would threaten you that we're going to play that every time I say the fear of the Lord, but we're not going to do that. So this topic uh, is one that may stir you up a little bit, and that is okay. It's okay to be stirred up. We're going to talk about it. We're going to learn some things. My goal this morning is not for today's message to feel like heavy-handed or to make you feel like you're being browbeaten, right? I'm not going to give you your spiritual spanking today. So you don't have to gear up for that because it's not coming, okay? I'm going to try to keep us moving. Um, my goal is to uh, keep today's message um, as lighthearted as possible, but also there's going to be some things that you're going to learn that you're really going to want to take to heart. There's a lot of reasons why I wanted to talk about this today. One of the reasons is that if it's in God's Word, it's important for us to know about it. If God's Word is talking about it, then we should be talking about it. And this phrase, the fear of the Lord, actually appears a lot of times in your Word. And so it is important that we know what it's talking about. And just so we remember this morning, the Bible is an incredible thing. Your Bible is an incredible thing. 66 different books penned by 40 different authors over a 1,500-year time period. And yet when you and I read it, it reads like one book. How is that possible? Only God could do that. How is it possible that a finite, a limited number of pages, words and letters, can contain an infinite message? Only God could do that. How is it possible that every time you open up your Bible, you receive something new from the words on the page? Only God could do that. And so our Bible is an incredible thing. And if there's something in the Bible, it deserves our attention. It deserves to be looked at. Amen? And so um, another reason why I felt like this was the right message for today is that we're going to discover that it's the fear of the Lord in our lives that keeps us from doing a lot of stupid things. So we're going to talk about that. All right? A third big reason why I wanted to talk about this topic is that we're going to discover that when, when we do, when we learn about the fear of the Lord, what it really means. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what it really means. Um, our lives are going to be enriched. Our relationships with God are going to be strengthened and deepened because of us exploring this topic. So I want to share with you just a simple little acronym that has to do with the fear of the Lord. What we're going to discover is the fear of the Lord brings peace into our lives. And we're, this is going to be the call and response part of the service where I'm going to say the first part and you're going to say the second part. Are you ready? The fear of the Lord. That's not bad, but let's get everybody in on this together. The fear of the Lord. Yes. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord. That's right. The fear of the Lord, we're going to find out, brings peace into your life. That might be messing with you this morning. How is it possible that fear can bring peace? We're going to talk about that today. Why don't we talk about this topic more? Have you ever asked yourself that question or thought about it as we're getting into this? Why don't we talk about this topic more? There's a few reasons. Number one is the word fear is a negative word in our language. It's a bad word, right? It's a word that we don't like. And so we have a hard time putting fear and God in the same sentence, in the same category, right? Um, we have this assumption that fear has no part of God. God has no part of fear. 
Um, on top of that, if you've been a Christian for a while, maybe you've heard some Bible verses that would have you believe that fear has no place in the life of the Christian. This was me. I did, like, this was such a fun thing for me to look into because I really learned a lot. But there's a few verses that maybe you think of. First um, John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We're going to come back to that Scripture, because there's a lot in that Scripture that you probably have not heard about before, and I'm excited to share it with you. It was really great for me just to be able to look at it. So we're going to come back to that verse in a few minutes. But there's another one that maybe is very common. Maybe you've thought of it. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And when you look up the phrase, do not fear, on BibleGateway.com, there are 91 verses in the Bible that have those specific words in that order, that specific phrase. And there's 169 different entries in the topical index when you type in do not fear. So there's a lot of do not fear going on in the Bible. So what are we talking about when we say the fear of the Lord? What does that mean? Is it in Scripture? How does it belong in the life of the Christian? Um, again, part of, the, part of the confusion here is that the word fear for us is a negative word. And so we automatically kind of dismiss. But we're going to learn a lot about that today. Another reason why maybe we don't talk about this topic is because when we say the fear of the Lord, it can feel like we're creating a sense of confrontation. Especially, it, it, this can be especially true if you've been through abuse in your life. Maybe if you grew up in an abusive home or a, a home where confrontations were happened were were handled really really badly. Um, maybe you've had some confrontations throughout your life that were so explosive and so volatile that they impacted the rest of your life. And when it feels like there's a sense of confrontation going on, you put your walls up. And if that's you this morning, I just want you to understand. I want you to know from my heart, this message is not designed to unsettle you. Okay. Um, my desire is not to stir up old feelings. My desire is not to rip the band-aid off to expose your old wounds. All right? My goal for today is for us to make this topic as palatable as possible, as easy to digest as possible, and not take away from its importance as well. And I really hope that, um, that this doesn't overwhelm you, make you feel unsafe. I want you to understand right now, especially if you've been through that kind of abuse that I'm talking about, this is a safe place for you to be. There are people in this room who have been through the kind of abuse that you've been through, and they have walked through it with the Lord. They've found healing on the other side of it in the Lord. Okay, There's people in this room who are ready to walk with you through those hurts and help you find healing in the Lord. And I, want to, uh, I just want to give an opportunity for demonstration this morning. If you are here today and you've been through something like that in your life and you're ready to walk with and stand with others in the room who are going through that very same process right now, I just want us to put our hands together and support them right now. Come on. Let's show them that we support them. That's right. That's right. And so, but this sense of confrontation can arise we, when we have a phrase like the fear of the Lord. We can put our walls up. Um, another thing that can happen for us, maybe another reason why we don't like to talk about things like this, is because with this sense of confrontation, for some of us, it can feel like the Holy Spirit just left the room. Right? The Holy Spirit is the comforter. 
the Holy Spirit uh, uh, shares God's love with us, and when we feel confronted with something, it can feel like He's gone. Okay, And so again, we don't like to do things that make us uncomfortable. We don't like to talk about things that make us uncomfortable or unsettled. So maybe that's a reason for you. Um, You know, we just got done talking about people who've been abused. It's amazing to me how many people I talk to who grew up or were a part of an abusive church culture. A church culture where the preacher always seemed like he was mad, like he was condemning everybody for everything and the whole world is going to hell and you're going to go to hell too if you don't shape up and that that whole fear-driven uh, uh manipulative uh power jockeying you know scare tactics kind of environment if you've ever been in a church like that and you've come out of that and you've experienced real freedom and love you don't ever want to go back to that and so when we have a topic like the fear of the lord maybe that stirs up that that old uh, that old stuff for you, and so you just are not interested in um, in talking about that on your own. Okay, maybe that's true for you. And again, um, if you've been through something like that, I just want you to understand: I'm not going to give you a spiritual whooping today. Okay, I'm not interested at all in uh, in browbeating you or making you feel like you are the scum of the earth. All right, I'm not going to do that. Um, I mentioned just a minute ago, like, it can feel like the Holy Spirit leaves the room when there's a sense of confrontation. Let me ask you something. How many of you have ever had your dad walk into the room when you knew you were about to get some discipline for something that you did, something that you deserved? I'm not finished yet now. (laughs) And when that's about to happen, mom leaves the room. How many of you have ever been there? Let me ask you something. Why is it that mom leaves the room? Say it again. Somebody said it. Because she's the comforter? It, say it louder, please. It hurts her? What, why does it hurt? Because you want to protect your kids? Right. Yeah, so mom doesn't want her baby to see her crying. Mom knows that she can be that her heartstrings can be pulled on a little bit, right? And so mom leaves the room, even though she knows that what her kid is about to get is what her kid deserves. Mom doesn't stop loving her kid because she leaves the room, right? And so that's just, I'm not saying that that is uh, how the Lord works. That's not in the Bible. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit is a woman. It's just something I thought of because I feel like it relates to that. And I will tell you this, the nurturing spirit of a mom comes from the Lord, because we are, men and women are all made in God's image. So that nurturing spirit comes directly from him. So um, I, think that's, I think that's just interesting. I don't know. It's just, I, I can relate to that. Um, I've had a lot of discipline in my life. <laughs> so, um, you know, another reason why we don't like to talk about the fear of the Lord is that we have some major shifts in our culture. A couple, three generations ago, Men were expected to act like gentlemen. Ladies, women were expected to act like ladies. A couple generations ago, how you conducted yourself had a major impact on your success in life. If you could go back in time and put a camera on the wall and film the average household in America and how they interact with each other and then take that footage and show it to somebody today on the street, they would probably tell you, wow, those parents are a little harsh. Those parents are a little heavy-handed. You know, I think that 
in general, in our culture right now, we have a real repulsion, a real aversion to authority. We, don't, we resist authority. You get bent out of shape when you get a speeding ticket, even though you know you deserved it. Okay? We have a repulsion to authority. We do. And see, we like the idea of having mentors, but we bristle when those mentors tell us that we need to shape up. When people tell us to knock it off and do the right thing, we tell them to go fly a kite, right? See, and, and so where did this come from? Well, I can tell you this. Um, culture is not something that is out and removed and in some other part of the country, and then it just happens in our life. Culture is built in your home and mine. Culture happens when parents raise their kids. The culture that you put in your home today is the culture in our nation tomorrow. And so, like, take a look at the Old Testament. This is one of the first things that Pastor T actually talked about in his message. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, if a young man or a young woman was deemed rebellious and disrespectful to their parents, they were dragged out of the city gate and stoned to death. And this was not some angry dad's idea. God told them to do it that way. Those were God's words to Moses. This is how you deal with a rebellious and disrespectful child. And you might say, boy, that wouldn't work in today's world. Really? Really? Did you know that in Middle Eastern countries right now, if you are caught stealing, your right hand is cut off? In some Middle Eastern countries... You are executed on your third arrest. It doesn't matter what you're being arrested for. In some countries, if you're arrested three times, you're executed. You're deemed unfit for society. So it's not about that worked back then and it doesn't work today. What we're talking about is American culture. American culture has slidden so far that we, like I said, we resist consequences. We hate consequences, especially negative ones, right? See, when a person rejects consequences, what they're really doing is they're rejecting authority. And so, again, respect for authority, you know, culture, that begins in your home and mine. I tell my kids all the time, okay, I tell my daughter all the time, I am making you learn to obey me the first time I speak to you because God expects us to obey him the first time he speaks to us. If I wasn't teaching my kids to obey their parents the first time they speak, how well am I setting them up to learn to obey God? And let me be clear here, guys. I'm not an expert on parenting. My kids are 5 and 6.5. Okay? I know that some of your kids are older than me, and some of you have been raising your kids a lot longer than me, and that's fine. I'm not an expert on this, but I can tell you I'm really grateful for the home that I was raised in. I was blessed to grow up in a home where there was consistency and firmness from my parents. There was also love. We're going to talk about how all those things co-mingle in the same place um, as we continue here. But the reason why I have rules for my family is because of the rules that were established by my parents in their family. One of my big rules from my kids, this is from day one, you don't say no to mom or dad. If mom or dad tells you to do something, you don't say no. In my house, telling mom or dad no gets you an immediate spanking, no questions asked. And again, I'm not 
an expert on parenting, but the reason why I do that is because I'm teaching them not to say no to God. How well am I setting them up for success if they say no to me and there's no consequence for it? How well am I setting them up to listen for the voice of God if there's no consequence for telling their parents no? See, there's going to come a day when my kids are not answering to me anymore. There's going to come a day when my kids are making their own choices and they're going to have to live with them. So if I don't teach them while they're young to not say no to their parents, what's going to happen to them when God gives them instructions, when they're living their own life? You know, um, when I was growing up, (laughs) when I was growing up, I distinctly remember a conversation that my dad had with me. He looked me in the eye one day and he said, just so you know, if you ever end up in jail, you are going to stay there until they let you out. He said, I'm not coming for you. I'm not bailing you out. I'm not spending my money on you. If you land yourself in jail, you're going to stay there until they let you out the door. Now, let me explain to you what that conversation did for me. That conversation put fear in me. I was afraid of going to jail. I was afraid of doing anything that would get me in jail. So listen for the principle here. My dad put some fear in me, and it shaped my life. Do you hear what I'm saying? My dad put some fear in me, and it made choices for me. I made choices based on that fear. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you, don't answer this, how many of you wish that your parents had instilled that kind of fear in you so that you wouldn't have made some of the choices you've made in your life? See, God does the same thing. Remember what we talked about a few minutes ago. The fear of the Lord brings you peace. The P in peace stands for protection. The fear of the Lord protects you. See, the fear of the Lord is not here to frighten or terrorize you. The fear of the Lord is here to protect you from heartache. The fear of the Lord is not about judgment and punishment. The fear of the Lord is about love and protection. I won't ask for a show of hands for this question either, but how many of you wish that you had put that kind of fear in your kids because of some of the choices that you see them making? It's real. It's real stuff. See, we need the fear of the Lord in our lives because it is, it is the fear of the Lord that keeps us from doing some really stupid things. Let's give an example here. We've all seen one of these. Yeah. Now let me ask you a question. If you knew with absolute certainty that you would not get a speeding ticket for breaking the speed limit, would this sign alone keep you from speeding? No. No, it wouldn't. Um, I've never spent a day of my life in law enforcement, but I can promise you that it would not keep you from speeding. You know why? Because you are willing to speed right now, even though you know you're going to get a ticket if you get caught. If you're willing to risk speeding and getting a ticket right now, guaranteed ticket if you get caught, I know that you'll speed if there's no consequences other than this sign right there. See, and, and here's my point. Somebody hold up your Bible for me. 
It's okay. I'll give you a second. Some of you are getting it out. All right. That's good. That's good. I want to remind you that that is your speed limit sign. I want to remind you that there are consequences for breaking the laws that are in that book. It's amazing. We forget how, how powerful our sinful nature is when it's not brought under submission to the Lord. But see, there are things that we don't do because we're afraid of the consequences. See, you do not embezzle money from your company because you know that when you get caught, you're probably going to prison. Now, I like money as much as the next person, but I'm not going to embezzle money from the company because I don't want to go to prison. Right? So it's the fear of that that keeps that away from me. I was talking with my, uh, my dad a few weeks ago about this message, and he drew this out of me. What a great example. One of the reasons why... I do not fool around with people who are not my wife is because I am afraid of losing the incredible family that I have. I am so afraid of losing my family. I am afraid enough that those kind of ideas do not manifest in my life. Where do you think that fear comes from? It comes from God. God puts that fear in us as a way of warning us, don't do that. 2 Corinthians 10.5, don't let that thought into your mind. You take every thought captive and you make it obedient to Christ. How about this one? This is a good example. Maybe I'll just start a rumor about her and discredit her in front of the whole family. That'll get her back for what she said about me. Don't do that, God says. James 4.11 says, don't speak evil against each other. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. And your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether or not it applies to you. And just so we're on the same page, another reason I don't step out on my wife is because she's really hot. And if you're a man in the room and your wife is really hot and you're very smart, you're going to say, Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you think my wife is good looking, you can just keep that to yourself. There's no need to make it weird. Somebody just said, too late. (laughs) There's a lot of times in Christian circles, we downplay the meaning of the word fear. This was totally me. I grew up believing this. Oh, you know, when the Bible says fear of the Lord, it just means awe. It just means respect. It just means reverence for God. You know, it doesn't actually mean we should be afraid of him. Well, that's not true. When we look at the words for fear in the Bible, they mean fear. Words like these. Words like, go ahead, get the next slide. Thanks. Words like yira, yare, and pachad, if I said that right. These words mean fear, terror, and dread. They do not mean awe and respect. They mean fear, terror, and dread. There's plenty of words in the Bible that are, you know, honor and respect words like the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20.12, where God commands you to honor your father and mother. Sure, you bet. Proverbs 3.9, honor the Lord with your wealth. Absolutely. But for you to say, for us to say, that every time that the word fear is used in the Bible, that that actually just means awe or respect, that's just not true. That was a big one for me, a big lesson for me as I was looking into this. So now we're going to take a look. We're just going to hit some scriptures all in a row that, that show us where these words fear land, okay? Um, 
These are all in the NKJV. Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Job 23, I really like this one. But he is unique, and who can make him change? And whatever his soul desires, that he does. For he performs what is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. Therefore, I am terrified at his presence. When I consider this, I am afraid of him. For God made my heart weak, and the Almighty terrifies me. Jeremiah 5.22, Do you not fear me, says the Lord? Will you not tremble at my presence? He goes on to talk about the marvelous works of creation. Psalm 2.11, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Now that one's interesting because it's putting worship and fear in the same spot. So serve the Lord with fear. Very oftentimes the word serve and the word worship are equivalent words, or actually it's the same word that's used. That's why some versions of your Bible will say that Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? Most of you heard that. Other versions will say, as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. It's the same word. So here we have serve the Lord or worship the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. How about Psalm 19.9? The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Psalm 33.8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. That one's good because it has both. See, it has the fear, the trembling, the quaking, and it has the awe. So there's both. The next passage is really great because it captures all five of the uh, letters in peace. The, the fear of the Lord protects you, encourage, uh, empowers you, admonishes you, cautions you, and endears you. It captures all of those. Psalm 34, 8 to 11. I want you to listen for how all five of those are present in this passage. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. One last scripture. King Solomon speaking in Ecclesiastes. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. But wait, you might be saying. I had to get a drink anyway. It was my moment. But wait, all that stuff is in the Old Testament. After Jesus came, he established a new covenant, right? Things are different now. We're not supposed to serve God out of fear, but we're supposed to serve God out of love. Really? Well, let's take a look at the words of Jesus. See what he has to say about having the fear of the Lord in our lives. This is Matthew 10, 28, and then 32 to 39. Jesus says, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. 
Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. And here's what he's talking about. This is what he means. If you love your father or your mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. See, this idea that the fear of the Lord no longer applies to the life of the Christian, it's, it's just not true. If Jesus, if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, like Hebrews 13, 8 says, then the fear of the Lord does not disappear for us even today. One more example. This is Matthew chapter 18. At the end, at that time, Jesus, no, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed that child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble... Cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life, he's talking about eternal life, maimed or crippled, than to have two hands and two feet and to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown in the fire of hell. So Jesus is not only incorporating the fear of the Lord, into his message, but he's putting it there. Jesus is putting the fear of the Lord in the hearts of his listeners. Just a couple more examples from elsewhere in the New Testament. Paul tells us, 2 Corinthians 7.1, Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. One more, Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear. The word is phobos. It's where we get our word phobia. And trembling, tromos, quaking with fear. See, we've talked about the fear of the Lord. Now it's time to go the next layer down. You ready? See, for some people, this is really familiar. Some people have no problem talking about the fear of the Lord because they operate with a sense of fear and trembling in their lives. They're accustomed to talking about God as if he's looking for sins to punish, okay? But let's remember what the fear of the Lord does for us. We're going to put our acronym back up on the wall. The fear of the Lord protects you, empowers you, admonishes you, cautions you, and endears you. And I want to talk about the last E in peace right now. I want to talk about 
how God endears us. The fear of the Lord endears us. Endears us to what? To our relationship with God. See, we've talked about how important it is to have the fear of God in your life, but that fear has to be grounded, rooted, and nested in your relationship with God. See, it's your relationship with God that makes your fear of Him bearable. If you don't have a relationship with God, all you're left with is an angry, wrathful, all-seeing judge who can't wait for you to mess up so that he can hit the smite button on you. Okay? Here's the smite button. If you can't tell, he's got his finger (laughs) over the smite button. Without a relationship with God, this is all you have. This sense of fear is just oppressive and mean. It's like getting outnumbered and beat up. So at the start of my message, I brought up a scripture, and I told you we were going to look at it more closely, learn some things about it. So we're going to do that right now. 1 John 4.18, it says this, Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows us that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So this verse, along with the rest of the New Testament, was written in the Greek language. And in Greek, the word perfect is synonymous with the word complete. Okay, they're interchangeable almost every time. So what would it be like if we substituted the word complete for the word perfect in this verse? What would it read like? It would read like this. 1 John 4.18 Such love has no fear because completed love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced His complete love. Boy, that changes everything, doesn't it? That adds a lot of perspective to that verse. See, what it's telling us is that if we have experienced the complete love of Jesus, then we have no fear of punishment. Remember, the fear of the Lord is not about punishment and judgment. It's about love and protection. Okay? So if you, don't have, if you have complete love in Christ, you're not afraid of punishment. Um, so in that case, what kind of completed love is this verse talking about, right? What would it take for us to have this completed love that the verse is talking about? What it's talking about is having a genuine, heartfelt, vulnerable, intimate relationship with God. See, if all you have is the fear of the Lord... You don't have relationship with God. If your idea of relationship with God is walking on eggshells and hoping that God has mercy on you on judgment day, that is not the complete love of Christ. On the other hand, I would tell you this. If you have a close relationship with God, but you have no fear of God in your life at all, let me ask you this way. Let me say it this way. If it doesn't bother you when you sin, then I would say you don't have the complete love of Christ in your life either. See, it takes both. That's my biggest point. That's why I wanted to talk about this today. I think that we Christians get so comfortable in our relationship with God. We get so used to walking in His forgiveness that we stop being bothered when we sin against the Lord. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will not do. See, we get to a point where we don't care about our sin anymore. And it doesn't bother us when we offend God. I think when we get to that point, we're out of line. And we need to correct ourselves. We need to put ourselves under submission to God's Word. We need to repent of our sins. And for some of us, we need to reintroduce ourselves to having the fear of the Lord in our lives. 
Now, let me, let me make sure we're on the same page here. It's relationship first. Having the fear of God in your life does not forgive your sins. You can't be afraid enough. You can't do enough right things to get right with God. You are never going to be good enough to meet God's standard. If we could, then Jesus dying on the cross was for nothing. Okay? There are some people, there are some religions that would tell you that you don't need Jesus to pay for your sins, that you can pay for them yourself. Or they might say, what Jesus did on the cross was good, but you need to add to that to really be paid for. That is absolutely wrong. The Bible is very clear that Jesus was the only person qualified from the beginning of history forward to pay for your sins and mine. The Bible says there is only one way to heaven, and that is through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Until he died on the cross, your salvation was not complete. Okay? It takes the death of Jesus on the cross to pay for our sins. So just so you, ever, just so you understand, if you're ever told that the sacrifice that Jesus made is not enough, that is wrong, and I can show you the Scriptures over and over again. And thank God, because we don't have to do anything to be sinless. All we have to do is accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. That's it. That's all we have to do. Because if it were left up to us, we would not be good enough. Let's remember, um, I'm going to bring up another point later on. Having the fear of the Lord in your life does not save you. Your relationship with God has to come first, and that begins when you accept the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, okay? And so after you accept forgiveness of your, of your sins uh, from God, that's when walking in the fear of the Lord brings that peace into your life. After you have relationship with God, that's when the, the fear of the Lord brings you protection, empowerment, admonishment, caution, and endearment, Okay? All of this takes place because you have a relationship with God. Once again, having the fear of the Lord in your life without a relationship with God is just as broken and just as detrimental to you as having that relationship with God but having no fear of Him in your life. Have you ever known a parent? Let me ask you something. Have you ever known a parent who thought that the best idea was to be their kid's friend instead of being their kid's parent? See, when somebody decides that it's more important to be liked by their child than to parent their child, that's when some really stupid stuff happens in the home. And just a little free advice for you, your job is not to make your kids like you. Your job is to be their mom or their dad. Stop trying to make them like you. Number one, it's never going to happen. They're never going to like you. As an adult, you can develop that adult relationship. But as a child, the only reason they're going to say they like you is to manipulate you and get what they want. They don't, they don't actually like you, okay? So stop trying to get them to like you, okay? The, the second reason why is, number one, it's just never going to happen. Number two, you're going to end up with a brat of a child who has no boundaries in their life. Am I telling the truth? The point is this. When a child has no fear of their parents, that becomes a dysfunctional child. We are the same way with God. If we have no fear of the Lord in our lives, we become dysfunctional. So I'm saying it takes both. It takes relationship and fear. So several weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the prodigal son, right? I brought this up at the beginning. We looked at the characters that Jesus talked about, right? We talked about the, the prodigal son, the elder son, the father. Let me ask you something. What do you notice about the fear of the Lord in the lives of those two sons? 
let's remember that the father in the story represents God, okay? The prodigal son had no fear of his father in his life. Look where that landed him, right? By the time he was done making his mess, spending all of his money, really messing up his life and getting his head on straight, Jesus described that he was so repentant that he was rehearsing his apology on his way home. You ever been there? Rehearsing the apology? Yeah, me too. So, but let's look at the elder son now. The elder son feared his father? Sure, you bet. If you look at the end of the story, he tells you, listen, I did everything my dad told me to do. Followed his father's orders to the letter. But it wasn't out of love. And it was not out of relationship. It was out of selfishness. Because you see, he obeyed his father because he expected an inheritance out of the deal. See, for the elder son, this whole thing was strictly transactional. The only reason he was doing what his father said is because at the end of the day, he would end up with the inheritance of that family business as payment for his obedience. No relationship there. And I want to emphasize again, we're, we're drawing the analogy in our own lives, okay? I want to point this out. You can be as perfect and as straight-laced as you want, and you still will not inherit eternal life, okay? The Bible says, Isaiah 64, 6, NLT, what a great translation. This verse really came to life for me. We are all infected and impure with sin, when we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. See, without Jesus in my life, my sin is the only thing that I can identify myself by. Here I am. I'm Matt. I'm a sinner. I'm imperfect. I'm flawed. I'm a mess. But see, with Jesus Christ in my life, having asked his forgiveness for all my sins and being washed clean by him, now I identify as a child of God. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what Paul says. Amen. So you see, you have to have the fear of God in your life because if you don't, you're going to wind up doing things you shouldn't be doing and you're going to lose out big time, right? You're going to end up with scars in your life that you did not need to have. But also, you need a relationship with God in your life. If you don't have a relationship with God in your life, you're just going to end up bitter and angry. It's just going to be a list of do's and don'ts. You're going to be resentful. You have to have a relationship with God. Or worse yet, without that relationship, you're just going to bag the whole idea of thinking that you should do right and wrong. And you're just going to do whatever you want. Scary. When you have relationship with God and you have the fear of the Lord in your life, what you're going to find out is that you handle yourself much differently than you would otherwise. So let's remember, love covers a multitude of sins. That's what 1 Peter 4.8 says. That's exactly what God's love does for us. And what's important is that we handle ourselves appropriately as God covers our sins with his love. Stick with me because this is big. How do you think it makes Jesus feel? Let me ask you this. How do you think it makes Jesus feel when he says, you know what? I see that you blew it. I see how badly you messed up here. But it's okay. I still love you. I have already paid for your sins. And they're covered. Now what do you think, how do you think it makes him feel when he says all that to us and we come back with something like, well, you should pay for my sins. That's your job. How do you think that makes him feel? As a parent, have you ever had your graciousness and forgiveness thrown back in your face? 
I almost feel like God is angry with me right now just for saying that. <clears throat> you know, and it was just an example. Lord. So, but that's my point. See, we have to have relationship and the fear of the Lord in our lives. I've got an example of that in my own life. I want to share with you just a quick story about how I was forgiven for my shortcomings and how I chose to respond to it. So, you may not know this about me, but one of the things I'm pretty good at is racing. I've uh, never competed in any stock car races or, uh, you know, uh, drag races or anything like that. But every time that I go to the fast lane go-kart races in Boise, I usually have the fastest lap, and I usually have the fastest overall time for all of the laps. I'm just, I'm pretty good at racing, and I'm just putting this out there. If you have a lawnmower that you want me to race with at the lawnmower races, I will win. I will win that thing. Or I will roll over on my head, making that corner faster than the next guy. I'm just putting it out there. If you want to talk, give me your lawnmower. I will give you a gold cup. Anyways, so challenge accepted, right? So my first car looked something like this. It was a 1986 Toyota Celica GT Coupe. Hallelujah. It was white. It was light. And it was fast. And growing up at my parents' house, we lived at the end of a private gravel drive. How you would get there is you would go off the paved road up a gravel hill, and then the hill would level out and turn to the right, and then you would have my parents' uh, driveway and garage, and then a little further on was the, uh, the, the concrete, concrete barrier with the chain link fence, the front yard, and the house, okay? So I discovered one day as a teenager that if I were to approach that hill with the right amount of speed, that when the hill leveled out, I would achieve some lift. And I figured out that if I were to apply the emergency brake and to turn right at the correct moment, I would also achieve drift. So I got really good at this maneuver where I would launch up the hill and hit the e-brake and crank the wheel and I would do a 200 degree turn. That's a half turn plus a little bit and land myself perfectly facing down the hill in the gravel, you know, in the gravel road for the next day. And I got really good at that maneuver. I never hit the concrete barrier once. I uh, always executed flawlessly. And so um, one day while I was executing this beautiful maneuver of mine, the there was something that caught my eye in the corner of the driveway that I had not seen there normally. It wasn't there all the time. So I'm in the middle of making my turn, right? It's like slow motion. I'm in the middle of making my turn, and I look, and there's my dad in the driveway. And he's got a push broom in his hand, and he's leaning on it like this, putting his hand on it. So I finished executing my beautiful maneuver, came to a skidding stop right next to the concrete barrier. It was perfect. And I just let the dust settle a little longer than normal before I got out of the car. But the problem is that I had to go past the driveway to get inside the house, so I knew I had to come closer to my dad with every step. So eventually I got out of the car and started walking toward the driveway, and he's just standing there with his hand propped on the broom. And eventually I couldn't, you know, avoid his gaze any longer. So I looked at him, and I had kind of a grin on my face. And my dad proceeds to tell me a story. You ever had that happen where dad tells you a story? And it went something like this. He said, you know, for the past several weeks, 
I've been sweeping gravel off of this driveway. And I've been wondering where in the world it could have been coming from. I couldn't understand it. Gravel thrown all over the driveway by a method and for a reason that I had no explanation for. But seeing you drive up the hill like that and take your corner like that, I, uh, I can see quite clearly now where all that gravel has been coming from flung onto the driveway. And of course, while he's talking, my heart is sinking lower and lower in my chest. I don't know what's about to happen. And he looked at me and he said, you know, that was a pretty good slide. I don't think you'll be doing that anymore. And I said, you know, I don't think I'll be doing that anymore either. (laughs) And he said, that's good. And he handed me the broom. And I began to sweep, and my dad went inside. And I want you to know that you could have eaten off of that driveway. I all but mopped that driveway. See, true to my, and true to my word, I never did it again. But, but see, my response was everything. See, I could have lost a lot more. I could have, it could have been give me the car keys, right? It could have been uh, you're not going to homecoming. It could have been you're not driving yourself to school for the rest of the year. It could have been a lot of stuff. But my response dictated my future. How we respond to God dictates, decides our future. See, the outcome could have been very differently, different for me. What would have happened if my dad would have said, I don't think you'll be doing that anymore? And I would have responded with something like, yeah, I will. My life could have ended up very different. I could be standing up here with a little crick in my neck, you know, and a scar from a broom, like right about here. You know, what if he had handed me the broom and and I had said something like, sweep your own driveway? The outcome would have been very different for me that day. But see, what happened was this. I wanted you to catch the principle here. My dad knew that he had me dead to rights. He caught me red-handed. He saw everything. But because he loved me and because he knew that he was talking to a teenage boy, because this, he knew this was just one of the many mistakes I was going to make in my life, He chose to show me grace. He chose to show me forgiveness and love. And he also knew me well enough that he knew that he didn't have to come down hard on me in order for me to receive correction from him. See, it was because I received correction that he gave me without fighting or arguing about it that I didn't get anything worse. I didn't get anything else that I might have deserved. See, when we receive correction from the Lord, how we receive that correction is key. If the Lord brings correction to us and we don't receive it, we are opening ourselves up for an escalated discipline. And maybe that will come immediately, but a lot of times in our lives, if we don't receive correction from the Lord the first time, He'll just let us continue in our bad choices. He will let you continue in your sin until the consequences are so steep that they finally get your attention. And I'm not saying that every bad thing happens in life because of your sin. That's not true. But there are so many things that we bring on ourselves because we don't listen to the correction of the Lord the first time. And when we have both relationship with God and the fear of God in our lives, then it doesn't take very much correction for God to get us to change. See, I don't know about you, but here's my point. I don't want the strong hand of the Lord coming down on me. If I have sinned before God, I want to submit to him 
confess my sin to him, ask for his forgiveness, you know, repent of that sin and start walking a different path without needing to be smitten, without needing to be harshly corrected. See, I want to walk with the Lord closely enough that when I offend him, I feel it. That I am bothered by it. I want to walk closely enough that he can just give me a nudge. Hey, that was wrong. You probably better go apologize and have me do it. See, I want peace in my life. I want God to protect me. I want God to empower me. I want God to admonish me. I want God to caution me. I want God to endear me. So for many of us Christians, been walking with the Lord for a while, maybe it's time that you re-embrace the fact that there's fear of the Lord. Maybe you should have some fear and some trembling in your life. Maybe it's important for you this morning to recognize that you need to shape up a little bit. I'm not beating up on you. If the Spirit of the Lord is convicting you about something, that's just between you and Him. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We're all forgiven of His sin when we accept the sacrifice that He has given for us on the cross. But that doesn't mean that we should keep on sinning. That's it for today's teaching. Hey, here's an idea. Share today's message with a friend or family member. If you're listening from outside our fellowship, we'd love to meet you. Visit graceid.org and hit the contact form to get in touch. We'd also love for you to join us. Services are Sundays at 8.45 and 11 a.m., as well as our Wednesday evening service at 6.30 p.m. You can even check us out on Facebook Live by searching Facebook for Grace Church Rupert ID. Learn more and plug in at graceid.org. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Grace Community Church.